afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Always a treat following William Liu on the Raptor Show. Uh, I have to make a bunch of adjustments when I come in. I have to raise the chair because Will's gigantic. I have to turn the volume way down in the headphones because Will is apparently hard of hearing. Uh, and then I have to shrink the headphones way down because they're all stretched out from his head. He's uh, he's giving me a hand gesture right now uh, from the other room. Lots of Kevin Durant talk on that show. Love the Raptor show with William Luke. Going to be sad when it goes in the offseason. Need my need my summer league Will Lou takes. Also, the shirt Will Lou's wearing. We need to see fit pics of summer league Will Lou at some point, too. I know he doesn't go down to Vegas, but we got to see it. Uh, the Blue Jays. <laughs> this is a Blue Jays show, not a Will Lou show. Uh, the Jays win last night. They snap a five-game losing streak with a 2-1 victory. It wasn't pretty. It was a little shaky. Jose Brios was fine. The curveball was there. Some of the secondary stuff was a little less impressive. Change-ups catching a lot of the plate and counts where your change-up doesn't need to catch a lot of the plate. But the curveball's good, and the curveball has been what a lot of Brios's performance flows from. So that's great. Good to see that in fine form. Adam Simber was actually the one who picks up the win. It's already his eighth win of the season. That's already the 10th most in franchise history for a reliever in a single season the record, Mark Eichhorn, 1986, 14 wins out of the bullpen. The more recent high watermark, we'll say in the, in the time I've been alive as the, the framing here, Paul Quantrill won 11 out of the bullpen in 2001. So Adam Simber already getting into some pretty rare territory. It is July 7th. We're just past the halfway mark. Adam Simber is going to win double-digit games this year out of the bullpen. It's pretty cool. The reason he got the win is because uh, the Jays couldn't give Jose Barrios much run support. Again, it's a 2-1 victory. Just 16 runs over the last six games for the Toronto Blue Jays. As uh, my colleague J.D. Bunkus pointed out on the Fan Morning Show this morning, over the last two weeks, uh, the Jays have been one of the worst hitting teams in baseball against left-handed pitching, which is very surprising because this is a fully right-handed lineup a lot of days. It's a lineup that's built to destroy left-handed pitching. And with the exception of Shane McClanahan... A lot of the lefties they've faced haven't been elite lefties. They're going to see Marco Gonzalez tonight, who's another lefty without huge velocity. We'll break down that matchup with Shai Davidi a little closer to the end of the show. But it's a fascinating one because Marco Gonzalez is kind of the king of outperforming his peripherals, which when you look at the type of pitchers who outperform their peripherals consistently... They tend to be the guys who are very, very frustrating to watch pitch against the Blue Jays. Uh, Guys who, on stuff alone, you think you can tee off on. And it just doesn't happen. So we'll see how the Jays shape up tonight. No Kevin Gosman on the mound tonight. We still don't have a starter for the Jays. It's going to be some sort of bullpen day. But whether there's an opener used or Casey Lawrence just gets the proper start, we're unclear on Yet, uh, the Jays did make one roster move today, but that was just optioning Matt Peacock to AAA. They just claimed Matt Peacock off waivers from the Royals. Another guy who could potentially fill some swingman innings, a long reliever or opener or just a regular reliever, doesn't miss a lot of bats, but there are some... I I dug into it yesterday on the Jays pregame. There are a couple of indicators that maybe his slider is better than it's gotten credit for, and if he uses it a little bit more, he could miss a few more bats. I don't think that's going to fundamentally change who Matt Peacock is, though. 
So no Kevin Gosman tonight. Maybe a roster move to come to fortify that bullpen for a bullpen day, but nothing yet. Nobody to the IL, anything like that. And the reason Gosman's not going on the IL in part is because it sounds like he could start Sunday and take Yusei Kikuchi's spot. We'll talk to Shai Davidi later in the show about how that's all going to shake out. We've also got Steven Nelson, who has the call of Friday night's game on Apple TV+. Keith Law is going to join us a little later. Josper Zulueta and Ricky Tiedemann were both named to the All-Star Futures game from the Blue Jays organization. We've got a returning Gabby Martinez, who's right back to raking. Spencer Horwitz has gotten the bump to AAA, and suddenly there's a left-handed bat who can hit for some power close to the majors. We're going to talk to Keith Law about all that. But first, we're going to be joined by Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus of 538 of the Never Sunny in Seattle podcast. Mikey, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Um, y- y'all got a y'all got a lineup of of killers today, so I'm uh, I'm excited to be among them. <laughs> who, who better to lead us off? And sorry for that weird uh, weird gap I had there. Um, but Mikey, I mean, you're I, everything. I, I've read your stuff for a long time, and then talking to you, Craig Goldstein, the the editor of Baseball Prospectus, he tells me you're the the vibes guy. So we got to lead off with you. We got to start the show off on a positive because the Jays are struggling right now, and we need that good energy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can I can try and help out with the vibes. Um, <laughs> it's funny that Craig says that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he spe- speaks very highly of you, and then of course your work speaks for itself. Uh, non baseball question for you before we get going though: How's that mustache mm-hmm. coming along? Ooh, um, ah, it's not it's not great. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't even I honestly don't even know like where you saw that. I don't know if I've been posting pictures or whatever, but it's 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 coming along, but it's not good. I'm a professional, it's, Mikey. It, I, I know how to do my research here. <laughs> it's perpetually in a state of I should shave this today, or you know, uh, let's let's keep it going. So yeah. that's where I'm at right now with it. Yeah, it's it's big. Look, I, I saw I saw where it's at. I saw the hair growing out. You've got very big relief pitcher energy right now, which is fine. I uh, when I. <laughs> I generally look like David Phelps, but if I put my glasses on, I look like I get a little Trent Thornton to me. So there's nothing wrong with looking a little bit like a relief pitcher, man. You're doing great. Um, Let's talk about some starting pitchers. So you, I know you cover the league as a whole, but you are Seattle focused with the never sunny in Seattle podcast. And some of the things you've written at baseball prospectus and five thirty eight this year have, I mean, look, I went through your, your article archives. I'd read most of them already, but it's a lot of, Mariners piece, Jays piece, Mariners piece, Jays piece. I think you're low key a Jays fan. Um, but first, let's talk about a guy who went from the Jays to the Mariners rather than Mariners to the Jays. Uh, Robbie Ray is going to start against the Jays at some point this weekend. What has changed for him to turn around that poor start? I, I know you wrote at Baseball Prospectus recently. Robbie Ray already looks different again, and you've kind of been tracking how is a version of Robbie Ray with a little less velocity going to work? Um, how's that all played out? Because he's been back to being last year's Robbie Ray lately. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because you look back last year and you you kind of, you know, if you look at like CSW called strikes plus whiffs, you kind of say like, yeah, he has he has a pretty good fastball and, and he leans on the fastball a ton. The slider's pretty good, but they weren't like incredible numbers. Where he's always, you know, kind of, uh, succeeded is is in the way you know that we'll get to later is that he he creates a lot of foul balls too, which aren't great, but they're not balls and they're not balls in play. Um, he really 
started to struggle, you know, more with strike percentage. So incorporating um, balls in play and, and foul balls. And uh, he really just, he did not have his fastball from last year. And, you know, kind of looking back, it's it's kind of obvious. It's like by maybe August or, or July of, of last year, he was he was losing VLO. And given that, you know, his his gains came from VLO, it's kind of like, well, should you have given him five years? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he's it's really interesting. He <clears throat> the first article that I wrote, maybe maybe two months ago now, uh, he was just going fastball slider. And I was like, this is fascinating. You know, most guys can't really make this work, especially, you know, when you look at him, like I would call it a plus fastball, I'd call it a, a plus slider. It's still hard because you know if a if a hitter sits on one pitch, uh, you know they're going to be able to to probably put it into play and and probably hit it pretty hard and they've done that. Um, so that he was going slider heavy, I was really interested in. It, it, it was pretty apparent rather quickly that yeah, it works in terms of strikeouts and in terms of strikes, but you know he's going to make a mistake here and there. Uh, and guys are going to hit it hard or hit home runs. So he added the sinker, and it's been fascinating because, again, like you look at his fastball, and I wouldn't call it like an elite pitch, but I'd call it an above-average pitch. The sinker isn't; it's not amazing. Like it's it's a it's a it's a riding sinker, um, you know. So it, it doesn't sink as much as the <laughs> sinker usually does, and gets a little more arm side run than usual. But it's how he's using it that's really helping him, uh, you know, basically what he's doing is protecting his fastball, I think. Right. Um, so in nearly 40 innings, he has a 20.7 uh, strikeout minus walk percentage since adding the sinker, 86 FIP minus. Um, so basically, you know, you could say he's been 14% above league average in terms of FIP. Um I think it's basically, you know, hitters before just looked for the fastball up and the slider down. Now they have to look for the fastball up, the sinker playing off of it, arm side off the plate or, you know, out of the zone and the slider down and glove side. And so it's just another thing for, for hitters to look at. And it's, it's, it's also kind of a unique pitch. It's not a great pitch per se, but it's unique and it's, it's certainly not a bad one. So it's, it's really worked for him. And that's allowed him to working the fastball and the sinker. It's kind of allowed him to stay or even push the slider usage even higher um, where there's, there've been some games where, you know, last year he, he got kind of framed as, not exactly a two-pitch pitcher, but he was four-seamer and slider for the most part last year. Um, mm-hmm. And this year, the numbers were like that at first, but lately it's been almost... He's pushed that slider rate to almost 50%. So I guess, um, you know, it, it's no surprise, it's no secret that his slider is his best swing and miss pitch, his, his best pitch for for poor contact. But um, how much is this helping his slider as well and, and letting him push it to even higher usage? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's got to help. Um, just because I mean he throws a hard slider, you know he mm-hmm. throws um, kind of the the gyro uh, <laughs> cutter type um, slider. Like it's it, it sits eighty seven, and I I think I think all of these pitches play well off each other. Um, the the sinker, you know, when you think about when you think about horizontal approach angles, so when you think about the angle in which the ball is entering the zone. He, he gets out pretty, you know, closer to first base. And I think I wrote this in my more recent Ray piece, but they, the sinker and slider should tunnel a little bit better because 
the slider, when you look at the raw pitch movement, it's not a big sweeper like like Berrios. Um, but that he's throwing so far from the first base side makes it enter the zone more horizontally. So I think I think the 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 sinker does seem like a seam shifted wake pitch. So um, you know, for the layperson, that just means <laughs> the 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 seam orientation or the um the spin direction of the pitch changes on the way to the plate. Um, so I think he gets some added arm side run on his sinker and his slider is already, you know, moving. Um, it's already getting some, some, what I call synthetic sweep. <laughs> and so I think it, it, it does a little bit in terms of adding that, you know, that, that side to side aspect. And I think that's why he's throwing the sinker off the plate and, and the slider, you know, back footing it against righties and, and throwing it down in a way against lefties. So I, I definitely think it's, it's helping the, the the slider play up and and not get hit hard too. It's funny you bring up the seam shifted wake. Um, not only because you you wrote about it not long ago, but because to to try to get a better handle on that and what it means and what we're talking about when we we mentioned seam shifted uh, wake. I actually like your article at Baseball Prospectus about Paul Sewell was like really really helpful for that, and that was a guy who. I think until the Mariners turned it on and pulled up close to 500 here and got back in the wild card race, uh, Jays fans were pretty were pretty thirsty for. So, um, oh no, yeah. Well, it's not it's not <laughs> going to happen now. I don't think. I think Seattle's doing a little too well. Um, they have won 12 of their last 15. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the the Jays side of the Robbie Ray decision as well. But um, mm-hmm. while we're talking about things that are going well for Seattle, what's clicking for this team beyond Robbie Ray turning it around? Because suddenly this looks like a team with a rotation that goes four, maybe even five deep. The young guys are, are starting to uh, chip in more regularly. I, I'd imagine there's a lot of optimism around the Mariners fan base right now. Yeah, I I think a lot of it, you know, is, is like they're, you know, when you look at Marco, when you look at Flexen, they're not, they're not sexy pitchers, but <laughs> they are guys who are gonna, you know, have a run of of really solid games, um, and they've been having that. I don't, I don't know what the statistic is, but it's been a long stretch of games of our, you know, rotation going six innings and only giving up like a run or so. Um, so at this point, like, I think you could say the same thing about the whole rotation now that Brash is gone. I wouldn't call Ray sexy right now. Like he's really piecing it together to, you know, to be dominant. And George Kirby, he doesn't really have, like he doesn't have that brash sweeper or anything. He's just elite control. He throws really hard. So I think what we're watching, I mean, I guess Gilbert is is the sexiest (laughs) of the bunch. I think what we're watching is, you know, just a a really high floor rotation, uh, you know, kind of piece it together with a good bullpen and one that's only going to get better. Um, and hitters that are starting to come alive, you know, like Julio Rodriguez, uh, he really, really struggled for a month. And now he looks, he, I think he looks like a superstar. I I, I pitched uh, a Julio ar- article to, to 538. So they better um, pick it up. They better, you know, they better accept that pitch. Oh, right. I, I haven't gotten an email back. <laughs> um <laughs> But I think, you know, like, you wouldn't expect Winker to struggle. You wouldn't expect Kelnick to to fall flat on his face. So Cal Raleigh's starting to come around, and I think that's real. Um, Adam Frazier hasn't been himself, and, and you know, they've still they've still made it work. So I think as they get Hanager back, as they get Cal Lewis back, um, 
they're only going to get stronger. And so I, I think the Mariners are doing the the thing that they do every year, which is like, you know, kind of, kind of give hope and then maybe disappoint. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just, I mean, as someone who does a, a daily show covering a team they're in the wild card race with and would like pieces from them. I, I hope that they do the thing where they're good and they still sell off pieces again. Uh, but I hope for the fan base <laughs> that they don't. Uh, you mentioned Logan Gilbert being kind of the sexier of the the rotation pieces, still just 25. Uh, obviously, you know, he counters Robbie Ray's pants with the, with the big flow that he has going Two very identifiable guys. Um, Gilbert has this sub three ERA and he's had this tremendous season how is he managing to do that without a ton of swing and miss stuff? Is it just the fact that he can get swing and miss with four different pitches or is there something in his profile that just makes him a tough guy to square up? I kind of, you know, I think about CSW a lot and I use it a lot. Um, you know, I'll hop on Brooks baseball. And, and one of the first things that I look at is, you know, what, like what makes a good pitcher? It's, it's limiting hard contact and, and throwing strikes and, the best kind of strikes are, are whiffs, but called strikes are good too. I think Logan Gilbert, and I touched on this a second ago, he's someone who, you know, John Troopin at Lookout Landing wrote about this uh, over the offseason. He is a guy like Robbie Ray, like George Kirby, who induce a lot of foul balls. And so, you know, if you're talking about stuff, I, I think his his fastball is is, I don't know if I'd call it elite, but it's it's just short of it. Twenty six percent of the time, pitch. it's getting fouled off. That's that's yeah. extremely high for a fastball. It's huge, uh, and it's actually about equal to Gosman, which I, I find really <laughs> interesting. They're both in the top ten in terms of uh, foul ball percentage. Um, I, I think uh, you know again, like there's there's nothing that. There's not like a, again, like a Barrios curveball or like a Garrett Cole fastball, but he has good command. He's able to locate his fastball. Like his command of all of his pitches has really improved since last year. So more than ever, he's able to throw four pitches. He's able to, you know, to throw a strike in a three ball count. And I think the shortcoming of CSW, and this is something that Alexander Chase has looked at at PitcherList. Um, I guess I'm just shouting all my homies out. Yeah, I love um, that. Is that uh, <laughs> is CSW is, is a flawed statistic because the deeper you get into counts, the harder it is to throw strikes. And so I I think um, that's part of the you know the case with with Logan Gilbert is is you know he does he does get into deep counts a lot because he he doesn't you know walk an overwhelming amount of of hitters. Um, so basically, I, I think it's his fastball is is a plus pitch. Um, the slider's coming along. The curveball, he's able to use it as a get me over pitch more than ever. And once he finds feel for that changeup, I think, I think it's going to be arguably his best pitch, if not you know his fastball. But um, yeah, he just he doesn't get hit that hard, and and he's. He's competitive. I guess that's like that feels like a really old school it does, <laughs> answer. You but, know what you know. though? It, it it resonates here a lot this year because it's the Alec Manoa story too, where his swing and miss stuff is down. And yeah, he can ratchet up the velocity, but a lot of what you like about Manoa is in that kind of tougher to quantify area where it's just like, man, he's a gamer. He's uh he finds his way out of jams <laughs> and stuff like that. So we can appreciate that here for sure. Um quickly, the the Gosman 
thing you mentioned, uh, a very high foul rate. Obviously, that splitter is excellent. You wrote in May for 538 that Gosman had gotten even better. He's cooled off a little bit. Um, but what are your thoughts at this stage about the Jays' decision to on fairly similar contracts and let's leave out the part of this that may or may not have had something to do with vaccination status, um, going with Kevin Gosman over Robbie Ray on the market this offseason? You know, I, I do think that that had a large role in this for the Blue Jays. Um, so I it's going ha- to have there. a trade deadline role too. Yeah. Um, and so I think in hindsight, like at the time, I remember, I remember the 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 Mariners being, you know, uh, linked to Gosman, and, and I tweeted out, uh, like, oh no, and I got. I got a DM from a player that was like, I'm curious, like, why do you think this? Because this is how I feel about the two. Like, why do you think this? And I went back and forth with him. But in hindsight, it's like kind of what I talked about. It's it's Ray Ray lost a tick, I think, over over the course of the year and and was back down to to where he was. He wasn't as effective. He was still like all right, but Losing that velo as a two-pitch pitcher who disproportionately, you know, throws a fastball, um, that's a really big deal. The thing about Gosman, to me, is that once he loses velo, because he, he throws pretty hard and and mind you, like his his fastball shape isn't that good. It's 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 not a dead zone fastball, but it's it's you know, uh, it's not the best. The reason why his fastball plays for me is A, the velo, but B, because he throws a splitter. And the two are just impossible to... Like, you can't sit on one. Um, They play off each other better than, I think, any other pitch besides maybe like a fastball and spike curveball. So I think as Gosman ages, I think as he loses velo, if he loses, you know, a tick or two over the course of five years, the splitter's still going to play. And oftentimes you'll see guys lose velo on their fastballs and their splitters get better, which is really interesting. Hmm. But it's because they get more depth. Um, and you know, it's good to throw a hard splitter that 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 gets a ton of depth. But um, you know, sometimes that's that's something that can make that play up in in the fastball. It kind of eases, you know, softens the blow of it. So I tend to think, and obviously I'm biased. I I kind of tend to think that Gosman's going to age better because. That splitter is a pitch that that Ray doesn't have, and Ray's already in year one. I keep using this this, this phrase or idiom, but piecing it together. Um, and I think I'm less optimistic as I was when I wrote that piece at five thirty eight. Um, but you know, because he had kind of made some tweaks to some pitches, whether they're purposeful or not, but they're still really good. Um, and so, you know, if Gosman holds velo, basically, if he doesn't lose more than a tick or maybe two, I think this contract's going to age really, really well. And I, I, that's not something I can say about Ray. I like that. You, you certainly know the audience, you, you know, you're on a Toronto show, so that's great. Um, okay. One more quickly before, <laughs> before I let you go here, uh, help me fix you say Kikuchi. I, I know he was like Mariners, Mariners fans warned us about the inconsistencies that he could be pretty frustrating. But the warnings we were given were more that, like, hey, he he might not be 
as sharp down the stretch if he gets fatigued. And what we're seeing instead is, mm. you know, there's just no trust or command in that fastball. He's the only lefty who throws 95 who doesn't want to throw 95 from the left side with conviction. Um, did Have you seen anything in Kikuchi this year or from his time in Seattle that, you know, stands out to you as a potential fix here? Yeah, when when I and it's like this is not good news for you. Oh no. <laughs> when I yeah, when I was at Lookout Landing, I wrote several times about, you know, I don't remember what the article titles were, but essentially like please throw your best pitch. And his best pitch has always been a slider. Um I'm as I'm sure you know, you know, he took he took the the slider and and faded the cutter which I at first, I was so excited because I was like, this man is throwing a 92-mile-per-hour cutter. It wasn't good. <laughs> um, it was at first, but it's kind of like, yeah, he throws a cutter 92, but it doesn't like it doesn't move very much, and it's not a it's not a Corbin Burns or like Kenley Jansen cutter with a ton of ride. Um, and so he took that. I don't know which I think he he altered the the slider. He kind of morphed the two together where he was he was throwing a a softer slider, you know, like 83 and a harder cutter. I think he's still, you know, mixing in the hard cutter um, you know, like 91, but now his slider is about 86. Uh it's kind of it's kind of just like I mean, if you think about it, like his cutter, uh, it, it didn't get very many swings and misses. Basically, he's just moved closer to that pitch. And now he doesn't have the pitch that when he was throwing it below the zone last year, his slider was really, really good. Like his chase percentage was, I think, uh, like 43%. Um, he just wasn't throwing it below the zone. He was throwing it like a get me over, you know, curveball in the zone and it was getting lit up. Um, for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't play as well in the zone. So if I were to say, like, what can fix Yusei Kikuchi, I would say throw, you know, majority-ish sliders. Like, go back to that old slider. Throw more change-ups. Uh, stop throwing that that cutter. And use the four-seamer more as as a, a change-of-pace pitch. Um, because he he can't he can't command it. Like he can't throw it for strikes. And so I, I kind of just, I don't think he's a starter. I love, I adore you say, um, I was really sad to see him go. I was really happy to see him get, you know, a contract and, and a chance to be a starting pitcher. But, um, I just think the command is so not good that his, his four seamer, which is a good pitch. It, it, it can't play. And it seems like he can't really command, um, uh, he couldn't command the slider and the new one. He just, he throws it in the zone and it's, it's hard to get what's in the zone. So it won't surprise you to hear that two starts ago, he had a start in the right direction, but that cutter was back in higher volume. And most analysts mm. around the Jays were like, Oh no, that's not the way you want to do this. Um, that's not yeah. going to sustain. <laughs> so uh, I think, I, I think I'm with you there. Um, focus on the, you know, the slider and the fastball, maybe mix in the change. If you need a third uh, Mikey, ahead Thanks so much for taking the time, man. Really appreciate the look at the Seattle side of things and really looking forward to this series. Should be a fun one. For, an excuse to sit down with Julio Rodriguez for four games is uh, is a treat. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. Yeah, should be fun. I uh, appreciate y'all.
Mikey Hedo, Baseball Prospectus, Never Sunny in Seattle podcast, sometimes 538. If his 538 editor is listening, you accept that pitch. We need to read it about Julio Rodriguez. Let's take a break. When we come back, the voice you're going to hear Friday night when the Jays play the Mariners on Apple TV+. Plus. It's Steven Nelson of Intentional Talk and MLB Network next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Nice chat with Mikey Ahedo of Baseball Prospectus and Never Sunny in Seattle. To start us off today and tee up this four-game series, feels like one, I said this a few series in a row, feels like one the Jays need to pick up some steam on. Uh, the Mariners are up to 41 and 42. That's only four games back of the Jays who are now in the last wild card position. We'll see how things go tonight with the Jays going bullpen day against Marco Gonzalez. But Friday is the far more interesting one, uh, not only because we know who the Jays will probably pitch in that one. Uh, it'll also be an Apple TV Plus broadcast. Uh, the Jays Mariners games at 10 o'clock tomorrow. It'll be available to watch for free only on Apple TV. Steven Nelson will be on the call alongside Hunter Pence and Katie Nolan. Uh, you can still listen to the game on Sports at 590 The Fan with Ben Wagner on the call um, on the Sports at Radio Network. But tomorrow night's game, Jays Mariners. Steven Nelson on the call for Apple TV Plus, and he joins us now. Steven, how are you? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm doing great. So uh, a little surprise that you're doing uh, the game on Friday because you also do work for NHL Network. I thought you'd be here in Canada for the draft tonight, maybe. I w- I, honestly, I would love to be there. I've never been to Montreal, and every everybody who's ever been there uh, <laughs> is like, you got to go to Montreal. I'm like, well, I would love to. But yeah, I'm now... It, going to Seattle to to watch these two teams play, that's that's definitely that definitely doesn't suck. It's kind of, <laughs> that's a fine consolation prize instead of going to Montreal for the draft. Because I mean, th- I think you were just alluding to it uh, before I hopped on there. Is that you know you get you get fans who come come down or flood Seattle, Jays fans that is, and so there's just a lot of energy in the park. And you got you got two teams who are battling for a wild card spot right now heading into the break. So. I can't ask for much more, but I, again, would like to go to Montreal one day. Yeah, we'd love, we'd love to host you. Uh, I can, I've been to Montreal. I've not, I haven't lived there or, or been to the draft there, but excellent city. And then, of course, uh, uh, if, if the draft were to be in Toronto or the NHL were to bring you to Toronto in the future, I'm sure, I'm sure you'd, be, you'd be welcome in that way as well. Um, thank you. <laughs> uh, so on the baseball side, the Apple TV yeah. Plus experience. I, I'm curious how how has it been so far working with Hunter and Katie and doing this kind of slightly tweaked approach to calling a, a weekly <laughs> national baseball game. Uh, what what answer do you want? You want the real one? Yeah, I want, I want the real want one. The, the 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 boilerplate one. No, look, it's it's been it's been an experience. I will say that. Um, look. We're trying something new, as you alluded to, and and I think if we're being honest about the sports landscape, baseball of all the major sports is the one that is um, most routine. Let's say it's rooted in tradition 
and so any change um, is difficult for humans, but especially for baseball, I would say, as a sport and as a fan base. And so there have been some growing pains in that. I mean, Katie Hunter and I all met the day before our first game, opening weekend. And so we've, we're, we're trying to get to know each other and build on-air chemistry sort of on the fly on this season. Um, so is that the easiest thing in the world to do? Absolutely not. But we are having a blast doing it. Um, I'm glad that we're able to be back in ballparks across the league and as opposed to what we've been doing in the industry the last few years, which is calling games off monitors. It's just it, you just lose some juice doing that and you lose a feel for what's happening and you're not able to have conversations with, with the people who make sports special. So we're grateful for that opportunity. And, um, but yeah, I think to stop rambling here, like I think what folks have to keep in mind when watching this is that there's a, a wider net that is trying to be cast with these broadcasts. It is not just for, the baseball diehards who are in the weeds and who know anything and everything that there is to know about their team and or advanced analytics and or whatever. It's about the folks who maybe just finished binge watching a show Hmm. on Apple TV plus and like, Hey, what's this, what's this free sports ball game that I can watch right now and maybe trying to hook some of those folks in as well. So um, it's, it's, it's been a roller coaster ride, but, we're, we're having a blast, that's for sure. We're trying to have fun. Well, I'm I'm enjoying them personally, and uh, we got a little taste of it back in May with the, the Angels and the Blue Jays. Uh, yeah. um, I know you've got a, a bit of a connection with Shohei Otani as well. Um, man, are you running out of superlatives for that guy? I got nothing left, man. So I'm, I'm taking any suggestions from um, soliciting all, all adjectives and descriptors to use because we got nothing. And you know what's weird is, you know, in this, this, this age of social media, right, it's so easy to be quickly overexposed to something, so then it becomes passe or routine, you know, and I, I, I try to, we, I feel like as, a, as an industry, we got to fight that with Shohei Otani because he is the most spectacular talent the league has ever seen. Like, even, like, the Babe Ruth comparisons to me are tired, like, I, Babe Ruth wasn't doing it at this against this level of competition. It's just, I'm sorry. It's not even close. You can't compare. So he, he is the most spectacular talent baseball has ever had here in the States. And every single week, every single night, he does something that makes your jaw drop. I mean, we just flashback a couple weeks. He had the eight RBI game and then punched out 13. Now, no single player ever has done that in their career, and he did it on back-to-back nights. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to be appreciative to the history that we're witnessing because, look, every athlete is a pitch a moment away, right? We don't know our, all of us. That's for all of us. That's life. That's mortality. So we, we, should, we should appreciate every chance we get. To, to witness greatness like that man and and like I, I love numbers i love finding random cutoffs and stuff like that and, and there's the account mlb random stats jeremy frank he put one out this morning <laughs> yes. that otani has the highest slugging percentage with runners in scoring position in the last 50 years and the lowest slugging percentage allowed with runners in scoring position in the last 50 years 
Um, the only question that flows from all this about Otani, Stephen, is how, how do we get him to a winning environment so we can see him in the playoffs? And specifically, oh. how do we get him to Toronto? Brother. Oh, okay. So that the second question might be more fun to answer. The first one has proven to be impossible for the last decade and a half for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of Orange County franchise because it is um, it's mind-boggling. I think we've all seen the, the Twitter meme at this point, the joke, where it's like every night I watch the Angels and it's Mike yes. Trout hits three home runs and <laughs> Shohei Otani does something that hasn't been seen since Tungsten Armo Doyle or whatever. But it's true. We laugh at it because it's true. Um, the, I, and I feel awful for, for Angels fans. I do. And I, as someone who grew up in Orange County and all my buddies rooted for that team, and I, I know they are going through it because this is the year they finally, they finally were like, yep, this is it. We've been rope-a-doped. We've been bamboozled and hoodwinked <laughs> for years and years and years, and it's finally coming to an end. And for like a month and a half, <laughs> uh, it, it seemed that way. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe it's, maybe it is going to happen. But then Angel is going to Angel. And um, the, the fact is it's a top-heavy roster, right? Mm-hmm. And you got Mike Trout who's making, you know, his contract commitment was close to half a billion dollars. Anthony Rendon was signed when – and when Rendon's healthy, he's a hell of a baseball player. But was he necessary for this team? Probably not. And so now – and he's hurt now. Um, and Shohei, by the way, could be a free agent. Like, people probably hear all this talk about Otani and they think he's making a trillion dollars. He's actually making nothing. Uh, But he's going to make a lot soon. He's going to get a bag. So do you as a franchise feel like you will have the flexibility to build a complete roster? Um, And that's a a position I don't envy being in. So now we had this conversation on MLB Tonight a couple nights ago, myself, Harold Reynolds, and former Jay Dan Plesak. It was, well, do you have to now kick the tires on moving one of these guys? And that's, that's insane to, to <laughs> even consider. But if you, you look at their track record, the fact that they haven't been able to win, um, may, maybe, maybe. And again, that stinks if you're an Angel fan. But as you mentioned, if you're a Jays fan or a fan <laughs> of any other team, you can play fantasy GM in your head and say, well, okay, well, how can we make this work? Uh, and that's always fun. Yeah, I'll tell you, <laughs> anything is my answer to that. How do you make it work? Uh, take whatever you want. Whatever you want, yes. <laughs> so exactly. uh, we do have Jay's Mariners on Friday again. You're on the call on Apple yeah. TV Plus with Hunter Pence and Katie Nolan. Um, what has stood out to you most about the Blue Jays season as you prep for this one? Because, you know, here a lot of the talk has been – Obviously, the, the bullpen hasn't been as good as you hope. They're, they're dealing with some starting pitching trouble now. Um, you know, the, the bats have actually gone quiet these last couple of days, only 16 runs over the last six games. What has stood out to you the most about the Jays heading into this series? Yeah, I think I, I, I think back to my conversation with Charlie Montoya before that first Apple TV game in Anaheim, and, it, you know, it, he referenced the word expectation. Um, the expectation for Toronto just like the team that I root for, the Chicago White Sox. Those are the two teams, the sexy, trendy pick for everybody to win the American League pennant were those two. Um, but, but um, one, you, you can't predict or assume health, and both teams have, have struggled with that. 
And two, baseball is not that simple. It's not that easy, right? And while, while you feel like you have young stars whose arrows are pointing up, nobody is immune to baseball happening and them going into valleys. And for the Jays, that was certainly the story at the beginning of the year, which is trying to get the offense rolling. Like last year, it was a, an historic lineup, and this year it was – it couldn't really get going. Just struggling with runners in scoring position. Let's you know, let's be specific. You know, the first forty plus games, they they couldn't they couldn't buy a knock with a runner in scoring position, um, which was weird because there's so much talent. So I, I think for me, that it's just it's been a waiting game, like waiting for things to click and come together. Now the problem with a waiting game is you don't have that luxury in the division that the Blue Jays are in, and you look up and yeah, you're like, we're seven games over and we haven't hit our stride yet. Okay. That's glass half full glass half empty is you're 14 and a half back <laughs> and the Yankees are an absolute juggernaut. So I think for the, everybody in the clubhouse will tell you, well, we're not looking at that. We're just worried about ourselves and trying to get us rolling. And, and, and that may be true. So then it's on us outside the clubhouse to kind of survey the landscape here and it's not just that they're 14 and a half back. It's that they got two other teams in the division between them and New York. So um, that's the ALBs for you. So I, I, again, I am curious to see how aggressive the front office gets ahead of the August 2nd deadline because of the injuries that you mentioned um, to the pitching staff. And, you know, thank goodness for Alec Manoa. And Goss, Kevin Gossman, when uh, hopefully he's back soon. But I mean, Alec especially because those two have have buoyed uh, the pitching staff as a whole. But you know, it, you can never have too much pitching. And the Blue Jays do have talent in the system. Um, that and I think that's that gives them a luxury to to do that. And you know that organization is always aggressive and trying to get better and getting after it here these last couple of years. So that's that's kind of what I'm. I'm going to look forward to these next couple of weeks is, is can they narrow the gap? And then how aggressive are they? It's interesting to compare them to Seattle, who is a team that, you know, is probably a year away from those same expectations. You mentioned that the Jays right. and the White Sox entered this year with, and the Jays are, certainly old ish on the pitching side of things, but they're actually in terms of average age on the position player side, they're actually a, a hair younger than the Mariners. So maybe that's, right. you know, a, a good reminder that the, this stuff takes some time. Um, but when you look at the, when you look at the Mariners, I, I'd, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this one. Um, but when you look at what has clicked right for them and maybe even them being a little ahead of schedule, is this, yeah. is this pretty Julio Rodriguez driven? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say, if you, I, I will try, I, I'll, I'll avoid the J-Rod show if you'd like. No, right? because, no um, I'm all for it. No. I'm, I'm stoked for four games of the J-Rod show. No, because it's truly, he's, he's a marvel. Um, he's got every tool, you know, all five from a baseball standpoint, and then he has those extra ones that, that help you carry a franchise. And that, you know, he's, he's a, uh, just a lightning rod, uh, an electric factory. Uh, again, you're, you're, we're quickly, you know, using up all our superlatives for him as well. And he's just 80 some games into his major league career. It, it's, he, he's remarkable. He's a stat cast darling. Um, because, you know, if he was just 
you know, putting on the power display that we've seen of late, you know, sending one to the metal supply company down in San Diego, 15 home runs, um, you know, that we'd be talking about him then. But it's not just that. It's also the speed. It's also what he brings defensively. Um, and, and look, and again, he's just, uh, he's, <laughs> he's been, he's built for it. That's what I will say. You know, getting the chance to talk to him, you know, before the year, right after he got word that he made the team. I mean, it, it, it was one of those, you know, you, you talk to athletes all the time where it's like, oh, oh, he has it. Well, I, we don't really know what it is, but it, this person has it. And Julio, Julio, Jesus, Julio Rodriguez uh, has that for, for Seattle for sure. So he wasn't rolling like this when we first visited T-Mobile Park to watch the ends. Um, so now that he's really clicking, uh, this is, it, it should be different. And I'm jacked up for that. Do you think the Mariners are close enough? Like, obviously, in terms of games behind, they're close enough. They're only four games back of the Jays. But do you think this team is ready to continue this wildcard push, or we may be a year early on Seattle? Gosh, you know, I, I preseason, I didn't have them in the postseason. Uh, I didn't. I, I just, you know, I thought that last year, um, it's a little bit similar to the San Francisco Giants. There was a lot that went right for Seattle. Obviously, the Giants won 107 games. The Mariners didn't make the postseason. So it's not an ex- exact apples-to-apples comparison. But everything or a lot of things had to fall their way and did last year. And that's why it was uh, weird to see their run differential be as bad as it was. But they were just two games out of a postseason spot when all was said and done at the, reg- at the end of the regular season. But you knew that it just wasn't going to fall that way again in 2022. Same thing with the Giants. Like, how many pinch hit home runs or how many, you know, late platoon switches that resulted in a clutch knock? Like, you you just can't bank on that every single year. So I I felt like there was going to be some regression this year in addition to some growing pains with all the young players that Seattle has. Because not just Julio Rodriguez, you know, Jared Kelnick has been sent down. You know, Kyle Lewis uh, came back from a major injury and then is out again. Um, but uh, they also have youth on the pitching side. And Logan Gilbert has been great. And George Kirby, who I think we're going to see against Toronto on, yep. on Friday if the schedule holds up. You know, he's another one of those top prospects like Rodriguez, who has graduated now. Um, so there's going to be growing pains with such players. So I, I, I didn't think that they were going to be able to fully navigate that. But uh, here they are. They're in the thick of it. Um, but the American League just has a lot of teams where you, where you, you don't want to throw dirt on them yet. You feel like there's a run coming or they're established. Astros established. Yankees, you feel established. Okay, what's Boston and Tampa Bay going to be? Toronto, you feel like, I don't feel like we've seen the best of the Jays yet. Certainly not of the Chicago White Sox yet. The Twins look like they're So there's just a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people trying to get into this party. And so are there going to be enough chairs for Seattle to sit in? I don't know this year, but I do think that that postseason drought ends uh, next year. I do feel like it's next year is, is the year that it comes to a close for Seattle, but maybe, maybe this year, maybe I'm an idiot. Well, I don't think, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think even if they made it, that would be the case. It's uh, it's tight. We'll, we'll see how things are feeling after this series, because that the Mariners could be a lot closer to a wild card spot. If the Jays continue sputtering and they stay hot here uh, Friday You're night, right. Friday night, Gilbert against Ross Stripling. Uh, really looking forward to you guys on the call on Apple TV plus Steven Nelson. Thanks so much for taking the time today, man.
But it was great to audibly meet you. Hopefully we do it again one day and in person. One yeah, day. We'd abs- love to meet you, man. Absolutely. Thank you, very, thank you very much. Steven Nelson, co-host hey. of Intentional Talk, uh, host at MLB Network and NHL Network, calling the game on Apple TV+. Plus. A reminder, tomorrow's Jays-Mariners game at 10 p.m. will be available to watch for free only on Apple TV+. Plus. With Steven on the call, alongside Hunter Pence and Katie Nolan, you can listen to the game on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, with Ben Wagner and, and anywhere on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, but to view it, you need that free Apple TV Plus for the night. Uh, it's worth it. The last Apple TV Plus broadcast was a lot of fun. Um, Katie and Hunter and Steven are a lot of fun together as well. Looking forward to that one. So... The Jays are probably going to add something between now and August 2nd, as Stephen alluded to, as we've alluded to a lot on this show. If they're not going to weaken their major league roster in one spot to fortify an area, that means they're pulling from the minor league system. Let's take a break. Let's talk to Keith Law about how things are shaping up in that minor league system. Who's rising? Who's playing in the futures game? And what's the deal with Spencer Horwitz and that left-handed power bat? Keith Law next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's start a four-game set with the Mariners tonight. 10-10. Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali will have Jay's Talk for you Post game, we got an hour here. We're gonna talk to Shai Davidi about how the heck the Jays are gonna manage the pitching rotation over the course of this series with uh, Gosman potentially on the shelf and Yusei Kikuchi probably in need of having a start skipped. The Jays need pitching reinforcement, and what better way to do that than with prospects? Sending them out, bring in some arms to help us take a look through the Blue Jays farm system. Keith Law of the Athletic. Keith, how are you, man? I'm good. Was that the Beths that of you brought me into? Of course it was the Beths. It's Song of Rocks. Yes. One of my yes. very favorite bands. Yes, they're awesome. I cannot wait for the new album. Yes, me as well. I, I actually already have uh, like a special copy of it on pre-order from Vinyl Me, Please. Nice. So I'm very much looking forward to it. I, I've had a weird thing with the Beths over the years where every time they're in Toronto, I'm out of town. So I also have to keep an eye on their uh, touring schedule and make sure I don't mess that up again. Mm, that's uh i forgot who i had that with oh it was tenfe t-e-n-f-e okay they were like they on twitter they were like are you coming to the show tonight <laughs> in philly i'm like i'm in arizona Ugh. for my job and they're not americans so they're like what what is spring training I'm like never mind <sighs> see you in months and months or years uh Keith, exactly it's the midway point i know this is normally the time that people are bugging you for like oh what's your mid-season prospect ranking update uh i'm more curious what is your album of the year so far oh that's a good good question um yard act that might be my album of the year so far um i liked the smiles album i I think most people liked that album Mm -hmm. that was it seemed like that was pretty well received that's the radiohead slash sons of kemet super group right um those are probably my top two. I liked Foles album. I don't think it's really album of the year. It's just that is an album that is also very much like specifically tailored to my musical tastes, um, which is fine. I'm not going to complain <laughs> if somebody wants to make an album that is basically just for me. 
Is that your um, cat complaining in the background? That's my cat. He's not even <laughs> in the room. That's how loud he is. Bias cat. He's a jerk. He's uh, absolutely a jerk. All right. Um, let's uh, let's make you do your job here and let's pivot over <laughs> to, to baseball prospects. Um, so we've had you on a couple times and we've talked about these names specifically, but let's just hit on them quickly. Ricky Tiedemann and Yosfer Zulueta were both named to the mm-hmm. MLB All-Star Futures game Today, uh, Tiedemann was your pick before the season as potential breakout. Jay's prospect, when you broke down the, the top names in their system, uh, Zulueta is a guy we talked about potentially getting hot-shotted to the majors because he's a little older and profiles as a bullpen arm. Um, has your opinion on either of those guys changed since we, since we last chatted? Where would they shape up on your kind of hypothetical mid-year Jay's prospect rankings? Yeah, I think uh, I, I would say the same but more in both cases, Okay, right? They've both done what you wanted to see them do. Tiedemann has carried over the stuff that we saw from him last year and then some. Um, and I've had guys come, scouts who've seen him. I've not personally seen him yet. Scouts who've seen him come back to me and say that's one of the best right-handed pitchers, pitching prospects in the minors right now uh, and definitely projects as a starter, potentially a pretty high-end one. Zulueta has been working as a starter. They've been really managing his innings. I have a feeling some of that is just about workload management and just to try to get some innings under his belt because he's missed so much time with injury. For folks who don't know, he after he defected after, what was that, 2018 or so, he didn't pitch again until I think one brief appearance last year where he faced a batter, got hurt again, and had to come out of the game. So 2022 is basically his pro debut in the U.S. at age 22. Uh, age 24. So I have a feeling they also think he's a reliever, but are trying to manage him in a way that will keep him moving up the chain, keep him healthy, but also give him enough reps on a regular schedule to develop more as a pitcher. And they've, they've moved him aggressively low a to high a, where he was pretty good. He's got one outing so far in double a, this says to me that they're thinking a little more short term with him as opposed to Tiedemann who has that, you know, maybe top of the rotation upside. I hate to say that because the last time we talked about a guy like that, I mean, Blue Jays in general, was Nate Pearson, <laughs> and that still hasn't happened. But, um, you know, Tiedermann is the the new shiny thing, and so far so good. Yeah, with Nate Pearson, I think they, I think we'd all settle for end of the bullpen at this point. Um, yeah. Anything you can get out of him. Uh, speaking of guys getting elevated, Spencer Horwitz got the bump to AAA. Earlier this week, he was slashing 297, 413, 517 at double A at age 24. So maybe a little old, but he had nearly as many walks as strikeouts. So um, that suggests some some good process behind it there. What is your read on, on Spencer Horwitz as far as how he projects forward and what a timeline might look like for him? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. He is, I mean, the biggest issue is he probably doesn't have a position. Mm-hmm. It is fringe defense at first base, probably a DH, and there's not much power there. The, the approach is real, and I think the ability to get on base is is real. Like just in terms of the ability to distinguish balls from strikes, and it is actually a pretty short swing that allows him to put a lot of balls in play. Um, he, especially anything that is, he has a huge platoon splitter, did in double A. They were also, appear to be protecting him. They didn't play him a lot against left-handers. Hmm vast majority of his at-bats came against right-handed pitching. But if the ball's coming in towards him, he's going to hit it. He's going to at least put it in play. Now, he's he probably doesn't have the kind of over-the-fence power you're looking for in a first base or DH-type bat. 
and I think most teams would say we're not really looking for a platoon guy at DH. At that point, we would just use the DH as a spot to maybe rest some of our regulars and move guys around to keep them healthy. But that said, Horowitz does have some value somewhere, even if there isn't really a team that can find the optimal way to make use of a strong side of a platoon guy who doesn't really have a position. He could produce value. If someone were willing to give him 250, 300 at-bats a year against right-handed pitching, he could get on base enough to make himself valuable. Yeah, I mean, Brett Wallace got six major league seasons. He's a guy who, similar thing, not really much of a, a power hitter as far as bigger lefty first baseman go. And uh, the Jays moved off of him, but he stuck around a while. There, there's, uh, there's, there are chances there. Is, is there any chance that Horwitz can, he's, he's gotten some reps there, but not frequently. Is there any chance he could stick in left field or, or give you some time? Like the, as Jays fans, you know, these people have seen Adam Lind and Chris Colabello play left field. I don't know that the bar is super high uh, for left yeah. field defense, but could could you see that working out? I don't think so. Okay. I think it's going to be pretty comfortably below average. Um, in not, enough that you would say we're looking for something more. He's just, I mean, this is part of why he was a low draft pick, right? Mm-hmm. Is the, the lack of positional and defensive value. It's not like he didn't show some performance ability as an amateur, but it's that, Hey, this guy's probably doesn't have a place to play. And you know, you want that guy in your system. You're fine doing that as he moves up the, as he moves up the ladder, but ultimately guys like that are going to get pushed further and further towards the wrong end of the defensive spectrum. Right. That makes sense. So fun story in the minors, but maybe, Maybe not something to be too, too excited about other than, you know, a, an extra bench bat down the line. Someone who probably worth a little more excitement. Gabby Martinez is back from injury and got right back to raking. Homer in his first game back. Um, he's almost 20 now, corner outfielder. He was a, a guy that you were interested in. Um, he, he was in kind of the, the extras notes column when you teed up the Jays farm system before the year. The big question here, has he learned the rule that you're not allowed to pass teammates on the base paths when you hit a home run? <laughs> I do not have any reports from scouts on that. Uh, for folks who don't know, he had, if you look at his stat line from 2021, it says he had zero home runs. He did have one, but then he passed a teammate and it invalidated the home run. He actually <laughs> did hit the ball over the fence, which I suppose from a projection standpoint is far more interesting uh, to us. Yeah, he has been, it's funny, if we didn't have Tiedemann, would we just be talking about Martinez as the breakout prospect yeah. in our system this year? I think so. I think in terms of guys, he's still super young. He's only 19. He had just the three games last year outside the complex league. Uh, so this is this is really essentially his full season debut, and he is both putting the ball in play at a really good clip and showing some power already, which is a great combination, right? We can see I can show you lots of guys who can put the ball in the seats or I guess over the fence at least since we're talking about the Florida <laughs> complex league, um, but strike out a ton because it's just what the approach is all or nothing. This is a guy who's got more feel to hit and has some power that he's already growing into with likely more to come. And it, look, I actually kind of like now that he has the zero last year, zero <laughs> homers last year to 10 this year. I can't even tell you what a percentage improvement that is because it is not defined. Yes. It's uh it's great. And, and, you know, the questions around Martinez were, just to what degree the power would come, um, mm-hmm. you know, he, so he's sitting in there with a 362 OBP right now. He's got a low strike rate, like you said, can put bat the ball. This 
10 home run output over the first half of the season and not even a full half season because he missed uh, a little bit of time injured there. It's only 44 games. Yeah. So is this, does this change your outlook on what his overall power potential might be in time? Or is it just showing up earlier than maybe we expected? I would probably say a little bit of both. Okay. Right. That it, what actually impresses me the most, even in, in his case, when you put up power like that and are, your age is appropriate to the level in that Florida man league down there. That's a lousy place to hit. And if you've been there for spring training, I'm sure you have. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have. It's never really a great place to hit for power. Just Florida, that league in general, the, uh, the Florida state league, but in the summer, it's even worse, right? It's just the air is heavy. You're sitting basically in the ocean. It will be given <laughs> about five more years of climate change and you will be. It's just a pretty lousy place for power. And a lot of guys who've gone on to show much more power, even just when they got to double A, if you look back historically, Florida State League used to be high A, there were plenty of guys who'd, who'd show just doubles power there. And then they move up one level. It's, oh, hey, where'd all this home run power come from? Well, it was always there. It's just very hard to hit the ball out of a Florida State, most of the Florida State League parks. And so I think Dunedin actually plays a little closer to neutral, but the whole league deflates power. And that he's showing that there, and it's age-appropriate, and he's showing all of these other things that we're talking, you know, the, the strong contact rate and a reasonable walk rate, very, very promising. And, I mean, would be, I'm not going to, I don't, redo organizational like internal rankings right. during the season. I can tell you if I redid the Blue Jays one right now, he would be comfortably in the top 10, probably off top of my head, probably in the five to eight range in their oh. system, which is a pretty big jump. That is a pretty big jump, and that's pretty exciting. So I, I do want to talk to you about some of the names in that system, but more so uh, a philosophical here about how you approach the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And the Jays have obvious needs. They they need bullpen help. They the talk was early in the year that they'd need a left-handed bat for the top of their for somewhere in the top of their order for better lineup versatility. But the pitching has become such a need that they're probably looking bullpen arms first. Maybe a starting pitcher if that can allow them to move Stripling back to the bullpen or something like that. When it comes to high-end relief targets at the trade deadline, what tier of prospects are we talking about here? Like, are we talking, you need to put a Jordan Groshans on the table, uh, an Arelvis Martinez, or are those guys too much? Um, Just basically in terms of where the Jays org depth uh, stacks up, what would you expect to see them pull from if we're say addressing the back end of the bullpen? I can speak just to my philosophy, but I, I think this is probably also true for the Blue Jays front office who tended to, you know, both here and when they these guys were with Cleveland as well. They're reasonably conservative in terms of dealing prospects. I, I'm not giving up a top prospect, nobody who's top five in the system for a, especially a reliever rental, but even mm-hmm. a reliever I get for a couple of years. They're performance is so difficult to predict it is so volatile both in terms of the value of w- that they produce when they pitch but also just how much they pitch relievers get hurt a lot as it turns out and so predicting how much a guy even is going to pitch next year as a reliever is really difficult i'm not giving up significant prospect value for a guy like that i would give up you know it's that next tier of guys whether you call that the second tier or the third tier it's semantics but guys who are a significant ways away from the majors or guys who clearly have no path to a significant role with the Blue Jays. You know, I don't think you're getting a good reliever for a Spencer Horwitz, but do you 
puts you put guys like that into a deal as the second or third player maybe is the thing to just get it over the top or even so that some other GM can say, we got three players for Joey Bag of Donuts instead of just two. But you're not trading Aralvis. You're not trading Martinez. You're not trading Tiedemann. You're not trading Younger. These are guys who are good, have enough value, even if internally you might have some questions on them. Industry-wide, have enough value. Don't give them up for a reliever who's going to throw 12 innings for you and maybe something in October. That's just never going to justify giving away a prospect. Now, someone like Groshans, who wasn't in that don't touch list you just you just kind of made there, um, he is getting pretty close, and he's mm-hmm. hitting well at AAA, and you know he's a guy that I, I'd imagine you look around at some of these non-contending teams, and he could probably step into, you know, at least a utility role, maybe maybe an everyday role for one of these rebuilding teams. Do you think his stock is high enough to be? the key piece of a trade that gets the Jays more significant help, whether that's a, you know, a back-end starter or or one of these deals where multiple, you know, it's not just the rental reliever coming back, something else is coming back. Uh, just to throw out an example, you know, maybe you're, you're looking at a Pirates reliever and Quintana comes back in it or something like that. Uh, is Groshans that level of guy or is he kind of just below that cutoff you mentioned? Uh, he's probably right on that borderline okay. of those categories. And I say that because Groshans, I, I know plenty of people in the industry who like Groshans. The production this year is extremely disappointing that he moved up to AAA where they are using the major league baseball as opposed to below that where most minor leagues still use the minor league baseball. AAA, the major league baseball, um, we, most guys move up, have moved up to AAA in these last two years and done better. And I could give you a bunch of examples of guys who weren't very good in double A last year, moved up to triple A this year and are producing far better than I would have expected. And it's hard to tease out what's actual improvement versus what's the baseball. Well, here's Jordan Groshans, who always looked like a hitter first who would grow into some power. He's got one homer in 50, 51 games, triple A plus a few rehab games in a ball. And he's slugging 326 as a corner bat. That's a tough sell. And a lot of teams, and I don't know what, I don't have access to minor league exit velocity data, but I'm going to guess it's probably not great with so few extra base hits on the season. And so there's probably something in the underlying data that matches up with that. And that's going to hurt his value to the point where Groshans isn't the guy headlining a deal for a significant acquisition. Now, could you trade him and get a really good reliever or a fifth starter in a reliever? Probably. Maybe it's Groshans plus a lesser piece, something like that. I don't think Groshans is the point where he has no value. He's only 22. He was a first-round pick. He definitely has his advocates, certainly on the scouting side, and I know at least coming into the year on the R&D side with other clubs. So it's not like he's gone to zero value, but this hurts. I think his value is less today than it was four months ago. That makes sense. And part of the reason that we're talking about, part of the reason that the the target has moved from maybe – putting prospects in a deal for a lefty bat earlier in the year to focus at least on this show primarily on pitching is because there hasn't been that pitching depth at triple a that can come up and help at the major league level. They've gotten a couple decent uh, relief stints from some of their triple a guys, but Thomas Hatch was an absolute disaster called up on Saturday. Um, you know, Casey Lawrence has put up great triple a numbers, but, but they only really see him as a, as kind of a multi inning and then send back down guy. Yep. Is there is there something that strategically has been off in how the Jays build their starting pitching depth? Or is this just kind of one of those, sometimes you're going to have ebbs and flows in what the pipeline looks like at different positions throughout an organization? Yeah, I do think some of it is that they haven't had 
the bulk of pitching prospects coming through the system. I think the way that you build a major league bullpen um, is about probably about 60% luck and 40% hmm. just accumulate quantity of pitching. And, you know, it's almost like you're shaking it through a sieve, right? Some guys just fall in each time you change the sieve and a few more guys get sieved out. Don't fall, you know, don't succeed in passing the test. They can't hold up as starters. They get hurt. They get to double A and the hitting is better. And suddenly they struggle. Some of those guys, you, you draft almost all of them or, or sign internationally thinking they're going to end up starters in the vast majority of cases. And some of those guys will end up starters, but a lot of them will be pretty good, but missing something, health, third pitch, command to stay as starters. Those guys become relievers for you. If you look at who's filling these kind of extra spots in the Blue Jays bullpen, it's a lot of guys who are coming in from outside the organization and who have not, because they haven't done that, right? They have not had a group maybe over multiple drafts with some international guys of arms progressing up through the system where two of them end up in the rotation, three or four more become bullpen pieces of some sort. And then you can just kind of patch with some external guys. And that's not really a criticism. It It, it is sort of a thing that it is something that can happen. As you said, the natural ebb and flow, if you're drafting a lot of position players because you view them as safer, that's not wrong, but it can lead to a situation like this where you have some lack of pitching depth that impacts the bullpen. That makes sense to me. And that's, uh, you know, it, you you touched on something there that I'm curious about, and we can dive into it uh, on another segment with you, is where when do you draw the line with, you know, say a starting pitching prospect like Thomas Hatch, who's almost 28, and it's just like, well, okay, let's see what you can get out of him as a reliever. But we have a, an update from uh, a listener that's more important than that. So we'll save that for another conversation. Uh, the Beths <laughs> are here August 14th, Keith. So if you're looking Ooh. for an opportunity to make a trek to Toronto and, and check out, check out some Jays action or, or just check out uh, your, you used to live here, right? I know. Oh, you worked remote. Richardi okay. didn't either. Oh, so, you know, we, most of us just commuted back and forth a lot, which I got a lot of airline miles, but it's pretty go. exhausting. I yeah. have to say. Well, Cleveland is here that weekend. So if you wanted mm. to check out some Guardians Jays action and the bets, I don't know how close they get to Delaware on that tour, but August 14th, you're you're welcome to to tag along for that one. No, thank you. I think I'm actually gonna be in Wales on that date. So come on beef. I might be watching rugby. There you go. Uh, both of us just keep missing keep missing the bands we yep. like. Uh Keith Law, <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time out today, man. Thanks for the music recs and thanks for the insight on the Jays system. My pleasure. Keith Law of The Athletic. That's a little bit of cold water on the Spencer Horwitz thing. I kind of figured that's what Keith's answer would be. He's a lefty bat without a position, and there's not a... Maybe the Brett Wallace example is just too too fresh in my in my mind. Who was the other one like that? David Cooper? Was that the the other Blue Jays prospect that, that fit that kind of mold as well? And um, you just don't have... This is where uh, you can tell I came up reading a lot of drunk Jays fans because in my head, he's just DB Cooper. Um, but yes, another lefty first baseman with high OBP who just didn't have enough power to really stick at the position. Whereas Brett Wallace got almost 500 games, uh, only 70 for David Cooper. So that's the issue. Sometimes if you're a lefty without a real position or you're not plus at that position and you don't have a ton of power for low on the defensive spectrum, but Hey, for all the cold water on Spencer Horowitz, that was quite the Gabby Martinez endorsement. Um, Keith Law, if you missed it, saying that if he were to do 
a mid-season update of the Jays farm system rankings, Gabby Martinez, who was not in his top 20 before the season, has hit his way into somewhere in the five to eight range unofficially, 10 home runs in 44 games as a 19-year-old in A ball, 362 OBP, low strikeout rate. Uh, Not a guy that you're going to want to put into trade talks, probably. He's a little above that line if you're looking for relief help. Uh, Again, we'll call it the Jordan Groshans line from here on out because Groshans sounds like the guy, at least in Keith Law's estimation, who's right around the cutoff of, is this guy too good to move for relief help? Do you need more back in a deal to, to justify moving a guy like that? Or do you have to just say, there's not a path to playing time for this guy. Let's turn him into something that can help the team. We're going to take a break. And we're going to ask Shai Davidi some of that. Uh, he'll have the, Keith Law's got the prospect and the scout side of things. Shai Davidi's going to have the insider Jay's side of things. Uh, he's also in Seattle. Maybe he'll be able to tell us who the heck's going to pitch tonight uh, for the Blue Jays. Shai Davidi next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. You've got Jay's Mariners tonight. 10-10 first pitch. Ben Wagner with the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Shawali has Jay's talk for you post game. That's a late night for Shawali. But he's a pro. We don't know yet who the Jays are going to start. We know it's a bullpen day. It's supposed to be Kevin Gosman's start. His ankle or foot is not ready to go just yet. But it's not bad enough that he's hitting the IL. There's a possibility he pitches Sunday. That might even sound likely. To help us sort through this and maybe give us some insight into whether or not the Jays uh, have enough arms to get through today. He's in Seattle. He's Sportsnet's Shai Davidi. Shai, how are you? I'm all right. What's going on, Blake? Not much, man. Uh, before we get into the specifics of tonight's game, what? how high does Seattle rank? Like if you, Ben, and, and Arden were sitting down drafting road trips for the season, how high does Seattle rank on there? Uh, pretty high. Like this is, uh, it, it's definitely a fun, it's a great city, uh, beautiful city on the water, very picturesque. Uh, and then there's the whole Canadian invasion factor that just makes it a whole lot of fun. So, it, you know, it's right up there. I, I'm big on SoCal. I think you and I have talked mm-hmm. about that before. Uh, you know, you could park me uh, whenever Sportsnet's ready to open the uh, Southern California Bureau. I'm, uh, I'm first in line with my hands up for that. Uh, but you know, this is, this is right near the top too, because, because uh, of all the reasons, I mean, like for, for people who haven't experienced it and like, you know, you definitely see it on TV with the, the stuff in the stands and everything, but just what it looks like across the city to me is even more jarring. It's like basically everywhere you turn, there's like people in, in Blue Jays gear and it's just, it's just really, really cool. It is cool. I got to be a part of it once when I lived out in Vancouver uh, and always thought that that would be a, you know, not a not an absolute have to trip, but a pretty good pilgrimage for Jays fans uh, on that side of the border, anywhere west. I, I talked to someone recently who's Calgary, and they've done it before as well. Um, so pretty cool there. 
how I guess this is more of an historic question because this group of players really hasn't gotten to see it much the last couple of years. But how much does that resonate with the actual team when they see the fan base traveling like that for road games? Yeah, it's kind of funny. We were actually talking to Bo Bichette and, and Kevin Biggio about this yesterday after the game. And, you know, they both had a touch of it in 2019. Uh, and obviously 2020 didn't happen. And last year was, there were still border restrictions. So it wasn't its full thing. Uh, but like, you know, even in 2019, and, you know, everyone's saying, you know, that was pretty wild. Like it was really tame in comparison to like 15, 16, 17, when it was at its peak and it was just total gong show here. Uh, you know, it's, you know, especially 16. I remember hearing a lot of resentment from, you know, Mariners, from players and, you know, Mariners people, you know, the, the, you know, in theory, the Blue Jays, I think it was September or maybe late August, the Jays were here and, you know, the Mariners were in the wild card race. And, you know, the, that was a series that had playoff implications and, you know, Blue Jays fans just took it over, you know? So, so the players, like the, the current group of players, they've had a touch, but they haven't seen the full experience yet. And, you know, I wonder if like the combination of factors, you know, team on the rise, pent up, uh, pent up demand because it hasn't been possible due to the pandemic. You know, if all those factors are going to make this weekend, uh, you know, a wild one akin to the, you know, the scene here the, during the, the Blue Jays playoff years. And we've got some fun matchups ahead. You get to see Julio Rodriguez, uh, Jays fans' first extended look at, at who's likely the rookie of the year. A couple good pitchers going for Seattle. We've got what it sounds like it's going to be Robbie Ray against Alec Manoa on Saturday night. We were talking um, earlier, and it sounds like uh, Kirby's going to get the start on Friday. So that would mean Ray against Manoa on Saturday. That's a fun one. Before we get to those matchups, though, Shai, uh, do we know who's pitching tonight? Is there a, have they figured out what the opener follower plan is going to be? I'm sure that the, the, they figured it out. You know, I haven't heard definitive word yet. Uh, it did sound like they were very strongly considering an opener. You know, Casey Lawrence is going to, you know, in all likelihood uh, have a bulk role in, in this. So, you know, I think that was the plan. How they, how they kind of match it up right out of the gate is interesting. I mean, they they do have Sergio Roma, who is the original opener uh, on staff, but you know, they they had David Phelps open for them uh, a couple of times back when he was here in his first go around as well. And um, you know, I'd expect that Jimmy Garcia is back, if not today then tomorrow, but Jimmy Garcia is back today. You know, maybe it gives them a little bit more flexibility too, because now you've got your eighth inning bridge to, to Jordan Romano in place a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, so that maybe that smooths things out a little bit for them. But uh, this is going to be – this might be a day where, you know, they, they need the offense to, to do the heavy lifting. And, you know, it, it was a weird three days in Oakland, right? Um, you know, they were still sort of coming out from the cloud of tragedy. You know, on the Monday it was a pretty listless day, and you could sort of understand for a number of reasons why that was. And then, you know, Tuesday, you know, they – they hit the ball much better than the results suggested, but, you know, kept coming up empty. Uh, then they eked one out uh, yesterday. You know, so, so what happens today, whether that takes some pressure off and, you know, they sort of have a good response uh, or, you know, if like the pitching gets them behind in a, in a hole right out of the gate again and they have to do some, some digging out. Uh, you know, I, I think that there are all those, uh, all those factors put together sort of make this uh, a really interesting decision because, uh, you know, the, the pitching situation is, you know, pretty fragile right now. 
It sure is. And you're going up on the other side against Marco Gonzalez. And you think normally soft tossing lefty, uh, that's that's kind of the Jays catnip. And that hasn't been the case lately. They've been a, you know, J.D. Bunkus pointed out on the fan morning show this morning that they've been a bottom five offense against left handed pitching the last little while. Uh, and other than Shane McClanahan, you really haven't faced elite lefties. And then you've also got a Seattle team with a completely rested bullpen because they had yesterday off and no one had been too heavily worked except maybe Eric. Eric Swanson before that. So uh, certainly a, a disadvantage on the pitching side to, to start this series. What about yeah. the rest of the weekend? Because we, you know, it's Ross Stripling Friday, Alec Manoa Saturday. I know you had put some tweets out yesterday about the possibility of Kevin Gosman starting Sunday instead of Yusei Kikuchi. What is the likelihood of that? And how big a boost would that be to this team heading into an off day and then, you know, that almost bridges you all the way to the all-star break when you figure it's just once more through the rotation. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot riding on it. So Gosling's going to throw, uh, at least they're hoping that he's going to throw uh, a bullpen today. And if he throws that bullpen, then, you know, all of a sudden all the pieces fall into place, right? They can give Kikuchi the breather. He can try to figure out what he's got going on a little bit. He's got a little bit more time to work on things. Uh, and you know, in, in theory, you got you, you feel pretty good about Kevin Gosman starting one of the games in the series, but you know, they're not going to push him, and you know he's going to be smart about it. Understand that they've got a whole season to consider, not just you know a start here uh, at this point in time. So I don't know. Like uh, he's definitely you know he said he's feeling better and that it's improving. But you still see him limping around a fair bit, and you know, with the ice pack around his ankle after any bit of work, which you know is kind of normal, what you'd expect. But it doesn't. None of that screams this guy's ready to start on Sunday. So I don't know if there's a significant amount of healing uh, in the next couple of days, and you know, it makes it a bit more realistic. But if he doesn't get on the mound today, then you know that that plans they're going to have to shelf that plan, and uh, and maybe it's Yusei Kikuchi coming in and you know, and, he, and him having to figure something out. So uh, certainly a lot riding on whether Gosman throws a side session today. And, you know, and again, the other thing is that, you know, they can't have Gosman push himself and that he ends up, you know, sidelining himself for a longer period of time because, you know, you definitely don't want him, you know, dealing with this through the all-star break and, you know, still struggling with it coming out once the games return. This is all a lot easier if you say Kikuchi isn't in the spot you say Kikuchi is too, because then he goes Sunday and then, you know, you have an off day and then it's just, okay, well, Gosman missed one start and he'll slot back in next time through and you don't have to worry about rushing it. But I do think that this is on the table says a lot about the, the kind of hands up in the air. And we heard it from Charlie Montoyo after Kikuchi's last start, there there seems to be a real, maybe not frustration with Kikuchi, but frustration with the Kikuchi problem of how do you deal with this from here? Because a lot of his stat profile doesn't suggest a move to the bullpen is going to help. Like if you're going to the bullpen, you need that fastball command and aggressiveness with it. You need to trust your best two pitches and you need to start out better. And he's had all these struggles early, early, early in games. Um, and then you could look at a, a minor league stint or something like that, but look at what happened with Thomas Hatch or, or look at what's happening today when Gosman needs to miss a start. Uh, there don't seem to be any good answers here with the Kikuchi situation. Are they just going to have to kind of 
tweak and, and, and patch through until after the all-star break and, and just kind of, you know, let Kikuchi work on things on the side and wherever they need him? Or, or could there be a larger change in place for Kikuchi? Well, you know, uh, among the reasons you were listing for him not being a great fit out of the bullpen is the fact that it's just not throwing strikes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you come out of the bullpen, you know, even if you're not going to have dominant stuff, like at least throw strikes. Don't come out and walk the world. And, you know, that was... Or being the world. Think, right. I mean, or both in, in the same outing. And, you know, that was just... It was demoralizing for everybody involved, right? And, you know, I think for... For the Blue Jays, and the solution for Kikuchi is fairly simple, right? It's like, dude, be Robbie Ray in terms of <laughs> repertoire, in terms of what you're doing. Not like pitch like Rob, perform it to that level, but pitch in that style, right? That that approach to to your repertoire, and there's just so much variance with it, right? It's like, uh, you know, he comes out and he's just uh, on Tuesday and he's just throwing his cutter all the time. And it's like, why aren't you throwing the fastball? And then he doesn't get in the zone with that. He doesn't get in the zone with his fastball. And then he's chasing uh, the game. And it, it's just a whole total mess. And then, you know, I can't remember what the number was. But I think it may have been just seven swings that, that the A's took in that outing. I may have I may have that number wrong. But it was, it was something ridiculously low. And, you know, when they did put the ball in play, they didn't do much with it. So... I don't know he he keeps getting all this stuff that reinforces like just how good his fastball is and how effective it can be. Uh, but you know, for for some reason, whether it's comfort or not not being able to command it or not having conviction in it or whatever the fact is, it just there's just so much variance in approach from start to start. And you know, I think that's that's kind of the thing that has everyone shaking the, or throwing their hands up uh, because. Like you see the stuff there. Like you know the capability exists. The pathway to that success seems pretty evident. Uh, and you know, if he's like, if he's throwing to that approach, and then he's getting hit, and whatever the case may be, then I think you go, okay, well, you know, at least he's got beat with his best stuff. But a lot of times he's not even getting beat with his best stuff, and that I think is what drives people nuts. Do you think Kikuchi's struggles have? resulted in the front office being maybe a little more patient heading into the deadline. And I know that maybe sounds backwards because the worse you're, the, the more holes you have to fill, maybe the more urgent you're being. But is it possible that in addition to the Ryu injury with Kikuchi struggling so much, this front office is taking a beat to consider whether they need to be aggressive pursuing starting pitching instead of just bullpen help? Well, I think that they understand that they need a starter, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the, the, the priority is still, like, more than anything, they, they need just two more guys, at least one, but probably two dudes in the bullpen that you can pitch in the seventh inning onwards. Uh, that allows you to, you know, maybe push down, uh, you know, Trevor Richards and Simber and Mazel a little bit. And now, like, you know, if those guys have to come in and, you know, in the fifth or the sixth, uh, to sort of keep a game in line or, you know, a day when a starter isn't going great and you, they could just kind of keep the game there and let the offense do its thing. Now your bullpen is set up a lot better. And, you know, and ultimately, I think that is probably the top priority right now. 
But, you know, the more that you look at it, you, you know, you figure that you're going to need a starter, right? You've got to account for the fact that, you know, Ross Stripling hasn't uh, thrown more than I think it's about 125 or so innings in the majors uh, in, in a season. And so, like, you know, he'd be on pace for something closer to 150 if he's in the rotation for the rest of the year. And, you know, can, can you count on that? Like, you probably need to protect against that. You probably need to protect against Kikuchi in one way, one way, shape, or form. I don't think you give up on him by any stretch because, you know, the upside is very clearly there. But, you know, you've got you to gotta set yourself up just in case it doesn't happen. And, and you know, he needs an offseason to, to figure it out. And, you know, and, and I think that that would be fair to him too, right? Like, he came into, for Kikuchi, I mean, he came into this year trying to make changes in, in, a, in a two-week spring training with a new team. Uh, not having had the benefit of a full off season of working out on, on uh, in a different way, you know, like that's tough. So, you know, I think it, it's reasonable to think that Kikuchi may need an off season, but, you know, for all those reasons, you know, I do think that they ultimately have to get a starter. Now, is it an impact guy? Is it a depth guy? That's a different conversation, but you know, there has to be something else there because, you know, Maximo Castillo is intriguing, but right now he's your best option. Um, and, you know, that's not a comfortable place to be if you're trying to contend for a World Series championship. It's certainly not. And your bullpen's been so thinned out that you have to keep using guys like Castillo and Lawrence, who would maybe otherwise be starting pitching depth as multi-inning relievers. And then, you know, you run into a situation where you've got to use Thomas Hatch because Castillo's been used out of the bullpen. Um, the Jays have done a couple not band-aid moves because they're so low stakes that they they don't even, you know, you've sent out nothing to acquire Sergio Romo, uh, Bonda, and now Peacock, who got optioned to AAA today. Do those moves, are like, obviously those are just throwing stuff against the wall and, and hoping any of those guys ends up giving you 10, 15 capable innings before, you know, they turn back into pumpkins or, or waiver wire fodder. But do those patch additions suggest to you that the Jays are going to continue to wait on adding a bullpen arm? Like, what is the status of market timing right now if they were going to address those pitching needs you just laid out? You know, I think if they, if they had the opportunity to do that deal right now, they would, right? Uh, I mean, to do it at a reasonable cost, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, you, you can always overpay. Um, but I don't think they feel that they need to. And, you know, part of what uh, part of what they're doing that approach is, you know, maybe seeing if they could – you know, if they can acquire someone that there's a little bit more in there, you know, just talking to some people about Bonda, uh, you know, they, they think they can do a couple things with his pitch mix and his profile, things that he started doing a little bit in Pittsburgh and, you know, Pittsburgh will do, uh, I guess will model some of their pitching in, in a bit of a similar fashion to the Blue Jays uh, because, you know, Ben Sherrington's there and Steve Sanders is there and, you know, they were here, so they're going to see some things in, in similar ways. Uh, but, you know, they think there's a bit more of an opportunity uh, with this fastball uh, and, you know, using that up against the changeup and then, you know, changing the, the breaking ball a little bit. So, you know, he's got, uh, you know, sort of the fastball going straight, the breaking ball going one way, the changeup going the other. And, you know, that would be all coming out of the same slot, and maybe that makes him a bit more effective. Uh, you know, you can try stuff like that. There's not a ton of runway for it. But, you know, better to see if you can, you know, catch a bit of lightning in a bottle there uh, before you ante up. And maybe that, you know, if, if Bonda starts showing something or, uh, you know, Sergio Romo uh, proves to have a little bit more left in the tank or whatever the case may be, you know, maybe that 
you know, changes you need. Maybe it's just one reliever that you're acquiring and, you know, maybe you're putting some more of your prospect capital into the starter or maybe a, le- a left-handed bat or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I think because of that, you know, the, the, the Blue Jays do want to have a little bit of runway. The situation isn't quite as dire this year as it was last year. Um, and, you know, I mean, last year they were able to move early to you know, Milwaukee had a need-for-need need deal with uh, Richards and Telez, uh, and the Marlins were just looking to move money, and so they were able to get Simba uh, out of there. So, you know, I think that if those opportunities existed, the Jays would pounce on them. Uh, but I think right now, there's just there aren't a lot of sellers. There are a lot of buyers and not a lot of incentive for a team to trade away its, uh, its players before the deadline um, unless there's a gross overpay. Well, here's what you do, Shy. You want another seller on the market? You go into Seattle, you take four off of them, so they fall from four games out to eight games out behind you for that final wild card. And then you take someone with you on your way out. You say, look, uh, we put you eight games out past the halfway point. Are you interested in dealing someone? Um, if nothing else, it puts you in a better spot in the standing. Shy Davidi of Sportsnet. Enjoy Seattle. Enjoy this series. It should be a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet out in Seattle for this four-game set that gets going tonight. 10-10, Ben Wagner on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Show Ali will have you post-game. A reminder that Friday night's game, while Ben Wagner will have the call for you on Sportsnet 590, the fan, Stephen Nelson, Katie Nolan, Hunter Pence with the TV side of that one on Apple TV+. Plus, uh, free on Apple TV plus, but you got to check it out on Apple TV plus. Uh, thanks again to Steven Nelson for coming on earlier. Uh, that was a fun chat. Uh, Michael Hedo before him to give us kind of the Mariner side, Keith law giving us the rundown on what the Jays system looks like heading into the trade deadline and where, where the different cutoff points might be in terms of you don't want to move this guy. You're okay. Moving this guy for a starter. You're okay. Moving this guy for a reliever. And then try to of course, helping us set up this series uh, with a couple big question marks. Who starts tonight? Who opens tonight? We'll, we'll see. It's not, a, it's not a huge difference between opener and follower when both people are a reliever uh, or in Casey Lawrence's case, you know, a long inning reliever who starts in the minors. However you want to frame that. On the other side, we know Marco Gonzalez is going for Seattle. He's holding a 329 ERA right now. And over the last couple of years, he's kind of the king of outperforming his underlying metrics. He doesn't miss a lot of bats. The walk rates up. The average exit velocity is fine, but he does get hit hard fairly often. So he profiles as a guy who, if you guess right, you can hammer it. If you guess wrong, you're going to be really off balance. Uh, and that's because he's going to mix an 88 mile an hour sinker that he throws a lot in with a changeup that's heavily used against righties, uh, a cutter he uses against righties as well. Um, that one can be squared up a little bit more frequently than the sinker and the changeup. And then he'll throw a curveball here and there as well. Uh, if he faces any lefties tonight, expect a lot of sinkers. He's primarily a sinker guy against lefties, but against righties, he'll mix the sinker, the changeup, the cutter, the curveball. Um, and there's some deception there. The Jays have 87 plate appearances against Gonzalez. Matt Chapman has hammered him to the tune of a 400 batting average and a 657 slugging percentage in 35 plate appearances. Everyone else 
has pretty small samples. And then George Springer has just a downright weird one where he's one for 13, but also has five walks. So he hasn't had a ton of trouble getting on base, um, but hasn't really hit him hard. We tee up the other side of it, uh, but we don't know who's getting the first nod for the Jays tonight. So keep an eye out for that uh, a little later on. No real updates heading into this one. Uh, It's the first day of a road series. So I'd imagine when the clubhouse opens in a little bit here, Shai Davidi on Twitter will have just a smattering of updates for you. That tends to be how these things go. But uh, this is our... This is our first West Coast day, uh, first West Coast week, rather, with Jay's Talk Plus. So apologies for not being able to tee up the other side of things for you today. Either way, the Seattle Mariners have been better of late. So good, in fact, that our pal Dan Zimborski, who was on the show yesterday, uh, has an updated Zips projections for the for the final standings. And the Mariners now project as an 84-win team, even though they're a game under 500 right now. Those same projections, by the way, have the Jays finishing 88 and 74, uh, nice and easy. Took their first half record, doubled it. That's not how the system works, but that's how it worked out in this case. That would give the Jays the top wild card spot. Uh, they need to start getting some wins back on the board. Yesterday, a nice first step forward, uh, but they enter a tough series tonight. 10-10. Ben Wagner on the call. Show Ali post game. Thank you to Steven Nelson, to Mikey Ahedo to Keith Law, to Shai Davidi, to JR and Derek behind the glass. I've been Blake Murphy. Jay's Talk Plus returns tomorrow, 3 to 5 p.m., as we uh, digest our first look at the J-Rod show. Julio Rodriguez against the Jays tonight. Very fired up. Uh, Have a great Thursday, everyone.